You are listening to the Tech Execs Podcast. This is Brian and Eric. Today, you are listening to the third part of a three-part series about moving to the cloud, what we deemed don't lift, shift, and stop. Today, we are going to be talking about the aspirational side of cloud um, migrations. Namely, we talked about how do you move over for as quickly as possible and as cheaply as possible. Then how do you replatform to get up to the latest technology? Now we're talking about if you had to build with the latest and greatest technology today, what would you use? What is it even called? And today we're going to discuss that. So we're looking forward to talking about that and we're going to kick it off. Three, two, one. Hey everyone, I'm Eric Clark. And I'm Brian Schuster. Thanks for joining us today wherever you are listening to the Tech Execs Podcast. As Brian mentioned in the intro today, this is part three of our series that we call we call Don't Lift and Shift and Stop. We're talking about cloud migrations. And we're finally in the episode where uh, we're talking about the aspirational aspect of moving to the cloud. The real transformational stuff that gets really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're... So up until this point, we've talked about more practical solutions or things that you'd want to put into your organization today, more tried and true tested methods. Today, we're basically throwing caution to wind and saying, if you didn't care about everything running perfectly, but wanted to be in the latest and greatest, what would that look like? Or to put it another way, 10 years from now, what is moving to the cloud going to look like for everyone? And uh, we were going to just call this episode refactoring in general, but honestly, we just want to talk about one specific technology, namely serverless application development and serverless deployment. Because Eric and I personally feel like as we look at cloud and look where we're going, this is really the end game of what cloud was always supposed to be. Yeah. And if you look at how this has evolved over time, right, Go, go way far back. I mean, let's go back 30 years plus big mainframe systems. And then you look at where we are today and just the evolution of things, you know, virtualization was big years ago, and it's led to this big um, cloud migration. Everybody's moving to the public cloud and, and leveraging resources out in the cloud and getting out of, you know, their own, rolling their own data centers and things like that. This is just the next evolution. The next big wave is this serverless technology. Yeah. So what, what in the world is serverless? Okay, so the way I describe it, and just to give you a background on this, um, or at least our background, we spent a lot of time in cloud deployments, but now my work has been largely in serverless deployments, namely things like the actual specific technologies in AWS are API Gateway, DynamoDB, Lambda Mm -hmm. functions, you know, um, even things like, you know, code deploy, you know, or sorry, code pipeline, you know, where you're using more server, you know, more services offered by Amazon than actually building up boxes, you know. So just to give you an idea of what cloud looked like, like 30 years ago, if you wanted to build out your own application, you would really build your own data center. That was an important part of what you did. Mm -hmm. You built your own servers, hired operations team, and that's what you had. Then about 15 years ago, cloud computing first became viable where you could then take those boxes and basically use the internet to offshoot that to data centers all around the world. And that's how AWS got big, Azure started to move into that space. But the way that we built kind of stayed the same way. You decided I'm building an application, 
I have a server, here's my network, here's my subnets, here's how everything operates. You're just doing it on somebody else's build. Serverless is kind of the next level above that, where instead of thinking in terms of boxes, you really just think in the level of, what does my application need to do? And what are the minimum functions required to be able to get that right. done? Right, so the services that are sitting on AWS are really just abstraction layers above the boxes where the boxes still exist there. The exactly. EC2 instances, everything still exists, but you don't see those. So you you're not messing with it. You have to worry about it. That's, that's the beauty of serverless. It's not that serverless or servers aren't there. They're there. They're still there, obviously. Um, all the resources are there, but you're not messing with it. And all you're focused on in this case is writing a great application and deploying it in a serverless fashion. Right. So let's just take a really simple example, sure. um, AWS Lambda. So let's say you have a utility script that needs to run every night at two o'clock that does some basic cleanup inside your environment. Just one function or something. Right. Just a sim simple utility function. What you would do today is you would have your Linux box sitting out there, probably utility box. You would write your script in Python or Node, C, Java, whatever it is. And then you would have some you know, scheduler or cron job, sit there and that 2 a.m. kicks off this one function. It goes, does whatever it needs. And that box is always running there. So you have a server that you're maintaining to run small little functions like this. Mm -hmm. Well, in a serverless framework, what you do is you write the same exact function, wrap the function in a couple lines of code, but instead of building up your own box right. and your own server, with its own compute and storage, you put it up into a Lambda function scheduled to run at 2 a.m., give it the connections to you know your environment, and it runs exactly the same. The main benefits are twofold. Number one, you're not maintaining your own server. Mm -hmm. It's now Amazon servers that are doing that. And number two, the cost is absolutely minimal for yeah. something like this. Your first million calls of Lambda every month for every user is free. That's awesome. 100% free. And you get pay you pay for like the gigabit per second RAM usage and I think you can do something like 1.5 million gigabit seconds before you start getting charged or something like that. It's mm -hmm. insane. Yeah, like the example we used, you know, we use um internally is we did a uh you know a deployment for a client where they were doing an etl function where they were moving like a lot of data from s3 into redshift they wanted to do a standard deployment with a sysbox you know um, ssis which is an etl tool on a windows server to be able to deploy that and it cost several thousand dollars a month to be able to do that we priced out the same exact set of functions in lambda not a lick of difference in the actual end product and we figured out it would be less than five dollars a month <laughs> it, it's almost laughable to think how how insane that is right well right but but if you just think about it the like brian mentioned earlier the layers of abstraction that you're you're so far up you don't have to worry about the server and the licensing and it scales with you on demand and it's there just when you need it so having a box out there to do a function like that and running it and securing it and putting people there to maintain it is costly, right? Because we're not even talking about the people aspect of this yet. We're just talking about resources in the cloud. There's people that need to manage that machine and secure it and, and keep it patched and all that. All of that goes away. And so this one or $2,000 cost that Brian just mentioned that we could do for $5 in Lambda, that is absolutely the use case. That's, that's the dream. And it's totally possible because we did it. 
Yeah. So what you're getting into now are instead of having managed services like RDS or you know certain types of EC2 functions, you're just getting rid of all of those functions and at every single layer of the stack, you are moving into a service that's using cloud computing, but you just interact with the service. And so like the big ones there are for APIs, instead of having your own server running your API, you can use API Gateway. Instead of having your NoSQL database, you have DynamoDB. Instead of having a data store sitting out there, you have S3. And it's gotten to the point now where you can cobble together these different services and put them together, and you don't have to put up any servers anywhere to be right. able to manage your application. So that's why we're calling this the the refactor uh, portion of the of the talk. I know we're talking about serverless, but those two in my mind go hand in hand because if you want to go serverless, say you have already got an application and you want to go serverless, you want to take that application serverless, you got to refactor it. You got to break it up into pieces. So what do you think are the first applications that are going to move over to serverless? Honestly, based on what we've seen out in the market and the use cases I've been pulled into, I think it's going to be front-end web applications, mm-hmm. you know, kind of simple web applications are going to be the first one. And honestly, not everything of this has come together, but I'm seeing enough of the pieces that it's really exciting. Really, data management and data movement, I see being a big contender mm-hmm. in the serverless space. So. Web applications are almost the easy one. And actually, like when AWS first released its serverless framework, those are really the people they were targeting because API Gateway, DynamoDB, and Lambda are all kind of designed for highly, highly scalable, very small time frame events, right. much like you would have in a web application. So, like for my client right now, we're building a front end web application for you know one of their big data sets and essentially we can build up the entire framework in the matter of 30 minutes to get everything deployed all the permissions tables infrastructure s3 buckets everything so that you serve up static content from s3 you hit api gateway that connects back to DynamoDB through Lambda functions or just directly through API Gateway. And the only place you're hitting a database is because you're going towards Redshift. Mm -hmm. So I see front-end web applications being the big one. But honestly, like the one I'm really excited about are ETL processes. I think this is the area that is like absolutely ripe for a new innovation to come through. Because most of the solutions that exist right now for like Mm -hmm. enterprise ETL, and Eric, you can speak to this as yeah. well, is like really expensive, antiquated, and mm-hmm. really doesn't have a good solution. It doesn't seem like there's been much innovation in this space for whatever reason over the last yeah. several years. And you're stuck with, you know, uh, using a sys package to move data around, like Brian mentioned earlier, uh, which requires a SQL server and, you know, licensing and all that it's it's so weird because like you get into these discussions and like as consultants going into work like your clients often are a few steps ahead in different areas from you you know and like for years i've been expecting to go into a conversation be like okay what's their etl package you know are they using some new tools or something i haven't heard of no, it's basically Sys it's the same thing or Pentaho if yeah. they've gone a little bit cheaper. Like there has been like no movement in this area. 
And in a stack where every single level is going through major innovations, where databases are getting cheaper and easier to use, yeah. and visualization tools are going to the cloud and can be spun up within minutes, and you yep. have a production stack ready to use, and even, even BI applications are getting easier to use. Redshift has dropped the cost immensely for people to get in there. Every single step has basically lowered in cost, except for ETL processes, which are basically still, you need a server, then you need a Windows admin, then you need, you know, sys installed on your system, which is no easy task to be able to mm-hmm. do. And then you have to basically write sys packages to do everything that you need. And those break on big data unless they're architected in a very spe- specific way. It just seems antiquated. Yeah, it does. And so what we're saying here is there's an opportunity for somebody. Yeah. To, yeah. to uh, you know, build something in the serverless environment that moves data around and transforms it as it moves. And you could totally build something, right? An offering around this and offer it as like a, a SaaS solution or something. We oh. should do that. Let's oh, just do that. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. And actually, AWS, I think, recognizes that something's happening here because recently oh, they really? just offered two sets of services. Now, I haven't looked seriously into the newest one I'm about to mention, but it's a new service underneath their compute stack. So actually, I just saw this today. It's called AWS Batch. And just based on what the name is, it sounds like you can run millions of batch processes kind of in a serverless type framework. Okay. And this is kind of the successor to Lambda. I was kind of ex- I was expecting to come at some point because Lambda is great, but comes with very strict, you know, strong restrictions. You can only run so many Lambda functions at a time, like 100 at a time, for example, and they have a five minute runtime. Batch, I'm hoping, is going to open up that process a little bit where you can start being more flexible, Mm -hmm. which would make serverless a lot more viable. But then you have a second service called AWS Glue, which just launched at, you know, um, reInvent last year, Mm -hmm. which is essentially the ETL package or the ETL tool I'm hoping exists. I haven't been able to get my hands on it, but essentially it's a tool that allows you to pick your data sources, do your data manipulation, and dump out into a data source, which is all that we've ever been looking for here. So like, I'm hoping that starts opening up the door for you know, a cheaper ETL solution, because as soon as that happens, all mm-hmm. of a sudden you've basically just equalized the playing field, and building data sets is going to get a lot cheaper and a lot easier to do. Yeah. Good points on uh, the data front. I think those are those are uh, really valid points to pay attention to and, and look for in the future. So let me ask you this: um, Alexa, uh, Amazon's um, voice recognition. Uh, what do you call that? Uh, Amazon. It's their artificial artificial intelligence. They call it uh, artificial platform. intelligence. Yeah, it's not artificial it's intelligence. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Lambda, the serverless, uh, plays a function here. Do you know? Yes. So, yeah. So when the Echo launched and they opened up Alexa to their development plat, you know, to their developers, um, they actually made like the primary tool to launch that AWS Lambda. Right. So because it fires those functions in Lambda based on what you're asking it, right? Right. Right. So what actually happens is when if you pull up your Alexa and ask to go off and get some function, what it's doing is it's calling an API endpoint that then actually runs a Lambda function Mm -hmm. in the cloud. Doesn't run on one server. Runs in kind of the Lambda, you know, server cloud that exists out there. It goes and grabs whatever data you're looking for and retrieves it to you. And so like. For anyone who's running inside Lambda, unless you hit 1 million Alexa calls a month, 
it's basically free to develop for Alexa. You're never yeah. going to have an issue there. So yeah, they actually launched with that. So yeah, you know, and the Amazon Echo is basically a major serverless application. Right. That's my point in bringing that up. Is there's uh, you know high level consumer products out there today that are using serverless products, and you probably don't even know that you're you're using it when you talk to Alexa or using your Echo. All right, so uh, really great thoughts today around serverless. And now let's think about and talk about what, why should you care? If you're a tech executive, if you're making decisions in your organization, why should you care about serverless and what can you do with it? So really, at the end of the day, this is, this is an innovation that's going to come to pass. The same way that you no longer buy your own servers and you put everything in the cloud, or that's the initiative. The initiative is going to be, how can we make this happen in no servers if possible? So the more comfortable you get with that technology today and start experimenting with it and understanding what is possible, the easier transition you're going to have in the future. Because it's only going to be people who really get the technology. Talking to executives, it's all about conceptually getting what is good about this that are going to be able to see the opportunities to improve. And honestly, that's just going to require experimentation. The reason why I'm at my client right now is because they're experimenting with serverless technology and they're building their entire stack without building up a single server. And there are some pain points we've discovered. There are certain things that we didn't anticipate that were issues in that deployment. But now they understand what the limitations are, and they understand where the strengths are. So as they build on this over the next coming of years, they've done a great service to themselves to be able to understand this is what serverless can offer, what it can offer. They're on the forefront of it now because right. of this. Yeah. Right. And so now they can take advantage of it. So, I mean, I mean, the benefit they get is you can basically take a deployment and have an entire production environment up in less than an hour. Yeah. You know, with Speed. all their functions, everything ready to go, ready to produce in their people. So. The benefit here is being able to not only be comfortable with this technology and be comfortable being uncomfortable with new technology, but being at the forefront to know this is where we can make an impact or this is where our organization can take advantage of this technology so that you're able to execute on something and really improve your organization mm -hmm. and be the executive yeah. who's the one who improved the organization. I think those are great points, and uh, I'd also add to that, you know, there's there's three things in my mind that stick out in addition to what you just mentioned there. Um, portability. Because the further that you abstract your infrastructure beneath, and you're just worrying about the function of the application or the function of the thing that you're trying to build, the more you're able to focus on building better code, and that's actually another benefit too, but that code, just as a natural... Um, byproduct of being serverless is going to be portable. You decide you don't like AWS at some point, well, move somewhere else and use somebody else's serverless technologies, right? Run your code somewhere else. But this is about running code, which means you don't have to worry about the infrastructure as much. So you can have better code and your developers can focus more on that and less on the infrastructure. And then I think too, um, the third benefit I would mention, uh, just from my standpoint, in addition to yours, Brian, is costs. It's cheaper. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and we gave a, a great use case about the date of movement cost, and we were looking at a couple grand versus a few dollars. I mean, literally two orders of magnitude decrease in costs. Incredible. So, and you don't know until you start exploring it, right? You, 
take take a small project and try it out. That's probably the best advice that we can give to get started if you haven't explored this yet. Find some business function that or a utility piece of software in your company that is running on a server somewhere. Peel it off and throw it on a serverless architecture and and see what happens. That's the way most organiz- that's the way most great organizations start with us. Well, hey guys, I really hope that you enjoyed session six today. I um, want to thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. And uh, as always, we want to hear your feedback. So we have set up an email address, and it's answers at thetechexecs.com. That's answers at thetechexecs. You can email that uh, address with your questions, your topic ideas, feedback, or whatever. If you just want to say hi, that would be fantastic. We will read all of them. Um, and you can also hit us up on Twitter. We are at the tech execs, at the tech execs. And be sure to visit our website. We're going to have our uh, show notes today posted for session six. That will be the tech execs.com slash session six. And we'll post all those show notes there. And you can also comment on this episode. That's it for this week, folks. We look forward to uh, seeing you in the next episode. Have a good one. Yeah.